Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey everybody, welcome to our big 2019 special episode. Yes, this is our year-end episode. This is a third year running for this. Yeah, I was really... <laughs> I was. We, Peter and I were talking about the episode and what we would like include in here and whether we would look back at previous years. And I was convinced we'd only been doing this for one year, but then he reminded me, no, we had a whole year before that. So it's crazy to think about. Well, and this has changed. And it was actually something I was listening to last year's podcast just before we recorded, just so I could get kind of our top list from last year. And I realized we did a lot more stuff last year than we did this year. And and it's I was thinking of why. So what I mean by that is we had a lot of guests on last year. We had everybody in the Slack and on Facebook and on Reddit like come in with their top co-op of the year for this episode. We had some people come in with 30-second clips and, and inserted that in. And we did none of that this year. Yeah, we are lazy bums this year, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, well, I thought about some of the reasons for it, though, and I think part of the reasons we had fewer guests this year is that we've mostly covered new stuff. And in fact, a lot of times we're covering stuff before it even hits the market. So you can't really have somebody. When you look at some of the guests we've had, Jamie Stegmeyer in the past, we covered Time Stories. When you had other guests, we covered games that were older, and we haven't really been doing that anymore. And to be honest, there aren't as many older games for us to cover. And even when you look at these top 20 lists from years past, we covered a lot of older stuff. You know, the first year of the list, it was a lot of older stuff. And now this year, it's almost all new stuff. Yeah. And actually, uh, the older stuff might not have fared too well. Yes, this is our big end of the year episode, uh, for me and Peter, at least. And we're going to be going through the 20 games we reviewed this year on the podcast. Uh, so not necessarily stuff that we covered on the YouTube channel, although a lot of it uh, crossed over. And we're going to be ranking our top 20. And to be honest, at least from what I've seen, or at least my interest in things, the stuff on the YouTube channel probably wouldn't have made the list anyway. It probably would have been lower than most of the things on the list. Although I can see some at the bottom here that it probably would have passed. But we try to pick the cream of the crop for, for the podcast. Yeah, and I was happy because I did a Top 20 YouTube video, if y'all haven't seen that yet. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be a rehash. But I forgot how different the games were. I think between the YouTube and the podcast, we covered, gosh, I don't know, 50 or 60 games reviewing them this year. Oh, wow. But uh, before we get into all that, let's thank our amazing Patreon supporters. This week, we'd like to thank three... First is a big supporter in a lot of ways, Dave Morthammer. He's not just a great uh, Patreon supporter and very active on our Slack, but he's also one of the most active playtesters for our upcoming board game design, Spare Parts. So, Dave, you're amazing. We really appreciate you. We'd also like to thank Nate Schultz and Joshua Thomas. Dave and Nate are co-op lovers, and Joshua Thomas is a co-op MVP. So thank you to you three. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thank you to everyone who's reviewed our podcast. Thank you to the people who comment on the YouTube channel. We support your support and your commitment and your involvement in whatever way you feel comfortable doing. Well said. So any other milestones you want to get into before we get into this top list? Well, didn't last year you did like all these like cool charts and uh, spreadsheets and analyses of our performance? Yeah, I didn't do that this year. You want me to go look it up now? <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. We can just get to Again, the being lazy in the uh, new year. I will say we got almost 100,000 downloads this year. We're close to 150,000 downloads overall. So we're, 
we keep doubling year over year, doubling or more. Oh, wow. Wait, wait. We've got 100,000 this year and 50,000 total in the other two years combined? Close to that, yeah. I mean, this year's probably like 86, 87,000 at this point. So by the end of the year, it'll be close to 100,000, yeah. That's pretty amazing. And on the YouTube channel, things are also doing great. We are getting close to 15,000 subscribers. And I think when I uh, joined the channel, Colin had built it up to seven or 8,000. So that's almost doubled in the, I don't know, year and a half or so I've been on there. So that's pretty amazing, too. Yeah, so we thank you, whether you've been listening to us from the beginning or whether you're new to listening. We definitely appreciate all of you guys. You guys are the reason we keep doing it. If we weren't growing or if we didn't have a loyal fan base or if people didn't come up to us at PAX and say how much they appreciated the content, you know, it's hard to get on this microphone every week and kind of talk to ourselves. But that support has really driven it forward, for me at least. Well, maybe it's hard for you, Peter, but I really enjoy our conversations, so maybe you're just a jerk. Or maybe you're just boring and I'm entertaining. (laughs) That that sounds more likely. Nice. All right. Well, anyway, without further ado, let's cover our top 20 games from this year. And boy, let me tell you, I I took vacation days, not specifically for this, but it certainly helped the last couple days just to play some of these games again. And uh, there was some shuffling at the top of my list. Well, you know, before we get into the top 20, I want to do a little look backwards, just a quick thing. So Peter had mentioned he was listening to last year's Top 20 podcast, and uh, we thought it'd be interesting to see if our top games had changed in the intervening year. So Peter, do you remember, did you look up what your top three games were in 2018? I did. I had uh, number one was The Mind, number two was Chronicles of Crime, and number three was Deep Madness. Oh, interesting. I know we've played at least uh, some of those in the intervening time. And for me, my number one was Sentinels of the Multiverse, which even shocked me when I said it back then. My number two was Street Masters, and my number three was Magic Maze, the real-time game. So, Peter, uh, do you have a new top three list, or has it changed? So my number three is actually going to be the exact same as it was last year, Deep Madness. I said it at the time, it was my number one dungeon crawl. There have definitely been some games that have pushed it this year. And in all honesty, Cthulhu Death May Die after more plays may move above it just for simplicity of setup and play. But Deep Madness is still up there in my esteem. And who was it? Dave playing it on the Slack that really like drove it back into my mind again. And he's talking about how exciting all these new missions were. Now, I think that was Nick. He was bulldozing through the entire core game. He played every single scenario over the course of like two days. Yeah, Nick Skeen is another amazing uh, playtester for us, but he just, uh, when he gets into a game, he plays it to death. Yeah, so I haven't played it in the intervening year just because we've had so many new games to cover, but it was on my mind after Nick was talking about it, and who knows, after we're done this list and early into next year, maybe I'll get it to the table again, so. I'm I'm ready to play it with you, man. Oh, good, good, good. Well, that's nice to hear. I'm glad to have a... uh, Somebody to play it with, because uh, while it's fun to play by yourself, certainly somebody to help with the AI and help make some of the decisions for you is is always awesome for that one. Yeah, and kind of like you, I think playing Death May Die and also Zombicide Invader, because Zombicide has more of the same combat system of uh, Deep Madness. That kind of put it on my mind again. Sure, absolutely. So how about you? Is Magic Maze still your number three? It is not. Uh, my number three is one that was, I think, my seven or eight uh, last year, but it was much higher for you. The Mind has cracked my top three uh, as of last year. Yeah, The Mind was number five for you last year, so it moves up two spots. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I, I thought it was a, a bigger jump than that. But yeah, the, the Mind, pretty much just for the ease of play, I think more than probably 
almost any game on this list, except for one of them. The Mind is one I've played the most. Now, is it the best design out of all of them? I don't think so. But if we're doing a list based on like what I want to play, what's fun to play, what I get to the actual table, the mind has to come in. It's just a great, easy-to-play social experience. You know, Whether you call it a game or not, I don't care. It's fun for us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, because I think you said on the episode where we reviewed the mind that you didn't think it'd have lasting power, and you didn't think it'd be around in a year. That's, uh... Well, you know what? Never mind. The mind is not my number three because I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> I think you said that. I might not. I might not be sure. But somebody go back, check the tape, and uh, let us know on the Slack. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Peter. What's your number two? So my number two is no longer Chronicles of Crime, and it's not a problem with Chronicles of Crime per se. It's just. Similar to Spirit Island, which I've said before, for whatever reason, this is a game that I I really like in my mind, but just hasn't gotten to the table again, and I'm not really sure why. So I'm going to go with one of my all-time favorites, a game that continues to get to the table year over year, and that's Flashpoint Fire Rescue, especially with the expansion now. I mean, I never would have thought years and years ago that this would have been at the top of any list of mine. Uh, I always liked it, but, you know, I never could even get past the basic missions, but The more I think about it, the more I play it, the more I just like it. And it's one of those games with staying power. So Flashpoint Fire Rescue, not going anywhere for me. Yeah, that one's uh, still not in my list. But the next one was on my list last year, and it's actually jumped a spot. Magic Maze has gone from number three to number two for me. Uh Uh-oh. Is it Sentinels or Street Masters that fell off? Something got knocked out. Something got knocked out. We'll have to see what it was. Um, And... Honestly, Magic Maze jumped for me, not because I enjoyed the co-op more. I still like co-op, and I still like playing it with my son, especially. But because I figured out my own solo variant, I did a YouTube video on our channel that showed the official solo variant and my solo variant. And I will say, not to toot my own horn, just for people who like Magic Maze and want to try it out, uh, I posted my solo variant on BGG, I think, or maybe somebody else posted it. But... It, it, it has definitely become very popular with the Magic Maze Solo community over there. Pretty much everyone who's posted about it has said it's their new favorite way to play solo. And for me, it's definitely a game changer. If you want the five-second version, uh, you play as though you're playing with two players. One player is your right hand, one player is your left, and you switch them whenever you uh, flip the hourglass. And that's basically it. But yeah, so with the solo play being phenomenal now, whereas before I thought it was terrible and I would never play it solo, and the co-op still being a lot of fun, this is uh, probably, oh man, it might be my favorite real-time game at the moment. I really, really enjoy it. So Magic Maze, uh, jumping up for me. Well, I don't think that's saying much, though. You're not a huge fan of real-time. Well, I really like some real-time. Escape the Curse of a Temple, Space Alert, Magic Maze. I I have the ones that definitely hit me well. Yeah, you, you like certain types of real-time games. So, okay. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. You, like a, you like them more than I thought you did. All right, so my number one. So wait, what, what was it again last year? It was The it Mind. It was The Mind. And it's is still The Mind. Shocked? It's, yeah, it's still uh, yeah, The Mind. Yeah, of course, it's still it The Mind. <laughs> <laughs> the Mind is great. I mean, anytime I get a chance to play this game, I still do. I, I mean, I've introduced it to a lot of new people this year. Everyone I played it with loved it. We've always had a good time. I, I don't know. I It's one of those games I've never had a bad time with. Even when we get destroyed in it, it's like, who cares? Let's set it up. Let's play it again. Like, I I don't know. I just never had a bad game of it. All right. Well, my number one, like Peter said, Street Masters and Sentinels were vying for the top spot last year. And I commented, it's sort of funny because Street Masters is heavily influenced by Sentinels and the modular deck design of that game. So which one remained on the list? Chronicles of Crime. (laughs) Chronicles of Crime. (laughs) Do you want to actually take a guess? 
Uh, I'm going to guess it's Street Masters. It is indeed Street Masters. And, and I can't pretend that this is not heavily to do with the release of Aftershock and me having just a ton more content to dive into. Now, the thing is, I haven't played much of it yet, so it's more the, the promise of getting it to the table. I'm still busy with covering so many other games that I haven't had time. But yeah, I'm really excited to get Street Masters playing again. Uh, having played Alter Quest and Hour of Need has just reminded me how much I like the modular deck system and the dice mechanic and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to play it more. Sentinels is still a great design, but I have not gotten to the table almost at all in the intervening year. I still play on the app quite a bit, and the app is great. But if we're talking about the board game and not the app here, uh, Sentinels has fallen off for me. And a lot of that, let's be honest, um, at this point I think I'd rather play Hour of Need or uh, Marvel Champions. Hour of Need if I want a board game superhero. Hopefully it'll release, you know, fairly quickly. And Marvel Champions, if I want a card game, superhero game. So Sentinels has just sort of lost its need to be in my collection. It is on my for trade or sell pile. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's still a great game, but uh, other things have replaced it for me. So Street Masters bumped up one to my number one. Definitely excited to play it more in the coming year when I have time, whenever that'll be. Well, we know you, how much you love that modular deck system, and you have a chance to prove it with our top 20 games of this year. So let's see, is Brook City going to be your number one? Oh man, you know it. Uh, I'll start off this time so I can have my number one before yours. So yeah, now we're into our top 20 of games we covered in 2019. Thanks for the little 2018 look back, Peter. So my number 20, and uh, by the way, I'll say that the first three games are games that I don't feel the need to own or play. Actually, the first four. The first four games are games I'm not that into. Uh, the other I agree 16, with that. I'm all fine with. So, like, I think that's a pretty good year overall, don't you think? Yeah, I'm the same way. Number 20 through 17, I never want to see again and don't care if they never get played. And the rest, I'm okay with. And then the top, I would say the top eight, I know I'm going to play again in the next year. All of them. I would say yes. Actually, ooh, for, for me, top nine. So I guess I like this year even a little bit more than you did. Well, there you go. But let's jump right into it. So my number 20, uh, not a bad game, but just a little bit lighter than I care for and more random than I think is interesting. Castle Panic. This is draw some cards, play the obvious cards to kill the obvious people, uh, let the luck of the token bag and the cards you draw determine whether you win or lose. I think it's fine to play with kids, but as a gamer's game, as something that I want to get to my table... Uh, honestly, even with my kid, uh, Harrison found it boring, so <laughs> that didn't even save it for me. So yeah, it's my number 20. Uh, no interest in playing it really at all. It's interesting. The bottom of your list might match the middle of my list, and the bottom of my list might match the middle of your list. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're probably going to have a couple that are in common in these bottom four, but I think we'll definitely have... I, I know at least two of them you will not have in your bottom four. Yeah, no, because Castle Pending is going to be higher for me, but... My bottom one is Legends of Andor, and that's a game I bought years ago and love the premise of it, love the concept, but it's just, I mean, it's puzzly and I like puzzly co-ops, but I don't know. I've just, I've never had fun playing it. Like, I played it, but it's just never been exciting for me, and I don't really know why, and I know some people like it, but it's just not for me. Well, that'll show up in a little bit, not too long. <laughs> My number 19, I think another one that'll be higher for you, is Kitchen Rush. This is a cool concept. I like parts of it, but the big things that held me up with this real-time game where you're running a kitchen, I thought the real-time was fine, but I thought setting up the game was a chore, and like a real chore, and it was like tough to make things accessible to all the players, so it kind of messed with the real-time playability of it. 
I thought the way they balanced the economy was terrible, where you're always in a hole and you're always barely scrabbling by. And I guess that's what you, they wanted you to feel, but I didn't find that fun at all. See, I was really quick to uh, trade this one away, uh, unfortunately, because I know Colin really, really likes it. But for me, uh, like Peter said, I'm hit or miss with real time, and this was a pretty decent miss for me. I wanted to love it because I've been playing all these like app-based cooking games, and I was all into uh, playing a board game version, but it didn't hit for anybody I played it with that well. It was just okay. And that one will show up in a little bit on my list. So, although I guess we're going to say that for all of them, so I don't have to keep saying it. <laughs> yeah, good point. But my number 19 is Set a Watch. And this is a game that we kind of enjoyed the first couple of times through, and it was nice puzzling through, but it really had a very limited amount of replay value in it. It really had a very limited amount of strategy in my mind. Like, it was pretty obvious what you wanted to do with your dice. So the puzzle was okay, but I just never found it that interesting. Well, that's not true. The first couple of times I found it very interesting, but I got bored with it pretty quickly. So number 19 for me, set a watch. All right, number 18 for me, the modular deck system coming in at a crashing <laughs> place of 18. Uh, this is another Settler Brothers game, but clearly I don't like it as much as Street Masters. That is Brook City. Yeah, this one was a, a big miss for me, which really bummed me out because I like the theme. I love 80s uh, cop movies and buddy cop movies. I love the modular deck system. Uh, put them together and you get a game that bored me. It took way too long. I found the, the board play very dull. Things were not as dynamic as I wanted. I didn't think things connected well. I also, this is a complaint I have with basically every cop game I've ever played, but it didn't feel like what they wanted me to feel like. I felt like a beat cop, like running around and doing like mundane arrests instead of feeling like uh, somebody in Lethal Weapon or Dirty Harry or whatever. So yeah, I know some people really like this one. I, I love that they do. I think it's a great system and I want people to enjoy these games. But this uh, has been probably the biggest miss of the Sadler Brothers designs. I don't think it's a terrible game. Some people are going to like it, but for me, it did not work. Yeah, you know, Brook City is, I mean, at least of the ones I played fully. So Brook City and Street Masters. I actually liked Brook City more. It was the length for me that bothered me the most. But, I mean, of the two that are out, I would say it's my more favorite of the modular deck system games. I like the way they made it Euro-y, kind of running around trying to put out fires while still working on the main case, similar to Pandemic. A lot of people compared it to that. And the reason I'm talking about it so much is it's my number 18. So oh, look at that. <laughs> that'll let you know what I think of modular deck system games. I mean, I got a little bit of flack on the Slack when I said that Cthulhu Death May Die did modular deck systems better than any other game I played. And... I mean, Brook City being my favorite of the modular deck systems games and being 18 this year will tell you what I think of modular deck system games. So, I mean, it's okay. Everyone can be wrong, Peter. But go ahead. Tell us more about uh, <laughs> Brook City. Well, I hold high hopes up for the two that are coming out next year. I, I feel like Hour of Need, is that what the superhero one is? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that one's going to be up my alley. So I hope I'm right on that. I mean, Hour of Need, if you like Brook City, Hour of Need is literally the same, like, sort of pandemic-ish board play, but you can play it in, like, 30 or 40 minutes, and it's got a really fun superhero theme. Yeah. I mean, for me, that is, I think, where the ideal modular deck system is going to fit in, so I'm looking forward to that one. Certainly the dungeon crawl as well, so we'll see. Maybe Brook City won't be my favorite anymore, but, I mean, it's a favorite of three right now, including Sentinel, so it's, it's not really that big of a list. But anyway, number 18, Brook City for me. All right, my number 17, Peter already mentioned it, Legends of Andor. This is a series that, interestingly enough, got lower in my estimation with every new release. 
So the core game, I liked okay, and then I played with my son, and I liked it a whole lot, even though there were some major duds. Like, they had, uh, I think, only five quests, plus a, like, six bonus quests you could play on the back of the, like, mine board. And one of those five was completely broken and basically unplayable. So it really didn't have a lot of content. And the other ones were so puzzly that you could pretty much play them once and you'd kind of seen what the game had to offer. But this is the kind of puzzle that is the least fun for me as I've gone over time, where things play out mostly the same and there's kind of one solution. And man, what really nailed the coffin for this game is The Last Hope, the final release, the third in the trilogy. That one was very badly localized a lot of the time. Like, the translation was not good, and I couldn't even tell what the heck they intended. Like, major rules were just flat-out wrong, and you had to, like, dig through BGG forums to find the correct answer, and that is not okay. But then beyond that, the puzzle just became truly frustrating. It was like there was one correct way to do it, or you had to do very specific moves. You make one wrong move, you got to reset for an entire hour. And it just was not fun for me. So I'm still putting it up to 17, uh, because it held a place in my heart once upon a time. But this is the last game that I will say I just like don't really recommend for a lot of people. I know some uh, love it, but I know it's pretty polarizing. And for me, I used to be on the positive side. I've come to the negative side on it. Well, my number 17 is probably the most forgettable game on my list. And let me explain what I mean by that. So this is a game we had reviewed before. We had forgotten we reviewed it, which is why we reviewed it again this year. And we just reviewed it last year. It was so forgettable on last year's list that I forgot to put it on my list. We did 20 games last year, and I put another game, not this game, on the list last year. That's how forgettable this game has been for me. And that's Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. It's one of those things where literally I made a list of 20 games that we reviewed last year. It was one of them, and I forgot it on my list, and I forgot we reviewed it just a year ago, and we reviewed it again this year. So, yeah, very forgettable for me, Pathfinder Adventure card game. I I don't believe you for this one. I I think you are lying to yourself, because when we played the new core set, I thought you had a really good time and you wanted to play more. Am I wrong about that? Well, I forgot. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Oh, uh, yeah, so that one's way higher for me. Don't don't get me wrong. Like, there are things I like about the game, but people say it is literally just flipping over a card and rolling a dice and see what happens, and I don't agree with that, right? Because there is a lot of good hand management card play. But, I don't know, for me, it's just, it's so hard to get into and, and like, rev up and get playing, and I don't know why, for a game that's so simple... And I've even tried to play it on the app, and people say the app is great, and they have a fun time playing it, and I just, I don't know why I don't find the combination of card and dice thing as interesting as I should, for whatever reason. So, I like it, but I've played it probably 50 times, I would guess, between the app and the board game, and the fact that I still don't know exactly what I'm doing when I play, that should tell you something. Like, something's just off in my mind with this game for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like the app either, to be upfront about that. I think you need to be rolling the dice and having the cards in your hand and everything to really experience the game, and I found that app just uh, pretty underwhelming for me. But my number 16 is uh, Set a Watch, another one of Peter's lower ones. And this uh, did make it into my list of like games that are okay. I, I did already get rid of my copy, so it's not it's not some like huge recommend. But like Peter said, I think it has a, some really good plays in it, especially early on. The big miss for me in the design, and it's something you could fix with some sort of variant, is that you 
get a randomized set of your character's uh, ability cards at the beginning of the game. But then, pretty inexpensively, at some point early in the game, you can switch them to get the best ones. And there are very, very obvious best ability cards and very, very obvious weak ones. And if it was the kind of thing where, like, you had to cycle through them and you had to find a way to use the weak ones to get to the best ones, which, by the way, is the variant that I would use if I was playing the game again, then it would be fine. But the fact that you can just, like, every game set yourself up with the exact same skills and use them in the exact same way, like Peter said, makes the game feel more repetitive and rote. So I think with a variant, this game would be a lot better. Also, I'll note uh, on the Slack, somebody just announced today that they're, like, setting up an expansion that has all new monsters, all new heroes. It's a standalone, but you can mix it with the first set. That would also make the game better for me because the content started seeming repetitive pretty quickly. So it's, uh, you know, it's still not great, and I don't recommend it to a lot. I I think you should try it. I think it's a lot of fun to try, but unless you're going to variant it, I don't have it as a strong recommend to buy. That's a set of watch. Yeah, but remember the other problem is that the skills weren't balanced. Well, that's what, that's what I was just saying. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, even if you set yourself a starting set of cards, you're either putting yourself at a huge disadvantage or whatever else. So even if you variant it... Well, no, 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 no. You, you, you're, not, you're not understanding the variant. My, my variant would be to have, like, a deck next to you, and every time you use an ability, you put it underneath the deck and get the top card of the deck. So you have to, to get back to your good abilities, you have to use your bad abilities. That's the way that I would variant it. So you would get all of them, but you couldn't just rely on the best ones. You would have to find some way to make the cruddy ones useful in order to cycle them to get to the best ones. Oh, yeah, that might make the game a lot better. Yeah, I, I think it would. Already. Too bad we don't have a copy to try it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not too worried about it, to be honest. There's, there's plenty of other games we don't have to variant. Yeah, I mean, 15 more for me. All right, well, number 16 for me was Final Hour. That's the new Fantasy Flight game. And to be honest, when they announced it at Gen Con this year, we were there live in the audience, and nobody was really excited about it. And then Colin played it, and he really liked it. And then you got a copy of it and played it. And and then we played it for review, and I thought it was fine. It's never going to be my top co-op of all time. It's never going to be close, but... I mean, it's a perfectly fine game. I was actually surprised I liked it as much as I did. Obviously, still number 16 on my list, but this is where I get to the games where I think are are good. And I think some people will really like this whole top 16. I think some of them will be for everybody. This one was okay. I had some problems with the monsters moving, being a little bit fiddly. I had some problems with the end game being a little bit random, but all in all, I didn't mind it. And that is as lukewarm as I can be with a recommendation. <laughs> uh, my number 15 and you know looking at this this could be higher i just like the other games above it better in terms of their design but i don't know i mean it's fine this is just one which is the party game from repos i do play it a lot that's the thing i i play i have played just one this year more than the majority of games on this list but i find it over more plays to be a fairly mediocre party game And the reason I say that is the kind of core, you know, sort of shtick or uh, quirk or gimmick of the game is this idea that if two people have the same clue that they have to put them both down. And in all the times I've played it at varied player counts, that almost never happens. And at first, the tension of it happening still makes it fun. But all the groups I play with, once we play like two or three games in a row, because that's how you play this game, they're like, oh, 
It's just not happening. So <laughs> it's still fine. But, you know, something like code names or Mysterium or The Mind or any of those things that I can play with, like, a smallish group in a casual way, they are far above this one. Uh, it's, it's definitely dropped in my estimation a decent bit since I've uh, played it more. All right. Well, we'll get into a debate on that one later. Well, I mean, you've already named several games we'll get into a ba- debate on, so I know that. <laughs> All right. So my next one is Arion. And this is a game in the Oniverse. And I do like the Oniverse games, but they're, none of them are, like, ever going to reach top echelon for me. And maybe it's just because I don't like micro games as much for whatever reason. I say that the mine probably being my favorite co-op of all time. So who knows? Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but I liked it okay. Uh, I like the Yahtzee mechanic. I liked it in this game. And I like the interesting card play. So there were a lot of interesting things about it. But... I don't know if I'll ever play it again, and I think I'm okay with that. And I was okay when I did play it, and I had fun when I did play it. So I think it's a good game, but again, not reaching the top of my list. That's my number 15, Arion. Well, you, sir, are completely wrong, because Arion is my number 14, and it deserves that spot. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Oniverse are fun. They will never be top games for me. I will say Arion is battling Nautilian for my top Oniverse game. So it's it's quite good for that series. But yeah, micro games tend to not jump that high for me, and this is an example of that. I like the uh, dice rolling. I like the kind of push-your-luck mechanic. I do think this one works better co-op than pretty much any other Oniverse game. So there is that if you want to play it two-player more than solo. I think Arion's probably the best one in the series to go for. But yeah, for co-op play, it's just kind of okay. All right, moving up to number 14. Here's the Terranoth. And uh, it's okay. Like, I had fun playing it when I played it. To be honest, I don't remember what my big pros were for the game. I think I liked the variety in the missions, and I don't remember what my big cons were. I think it was the card play wasn't that interesting, as far as, like, you only have four options, and you gotta, like, mark one off each time you use it. It's faded a little in my mind, because it's a little bit since the beginning of the year since I played it, but... Again, it was an okay game. I would recommend people play it if they haven't yet and uh, see if they like it themselves. But again, not not toward the top of my list. Yeah, for me either, because my number 13 is Heroes of Terranoth. So we're pretty close here, at least in this little bit of the list. Uh, yeah, it, it was fine. I did not feel it had staying power. I was very excited about it at first, and then it faded pretty quickly, which is, uh, interestingly enough, the exact same kind of arc I had with the previous version of the game, Warhammer Quest card game. So, yeah, it's fine. I, 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 still, I like it. It is uh, certainly a cool little game, not that expensive, uh, pretty quick to play, so I, I recommend it too. All right, so moving on to my number 13, and it was lower on your list, but that's Castle Panic. And I think this one occupies such a high place on my list because my family did have fun with it. And I played it for years, and everybody kept recommending it. I did sell it away this year after years and years of playing it. Just, I I couldn't play it anymore. I've played that game 50-plus times, and it was just time to go, leave my collection. It wasn't a game I was ever going to play on game night, and um, my kids have kind of moved past it as well. So while I think it is a great game, I think it is a great family game, I, I don't agree with Mike that it was so low on the list. I think it had years and years of staying power for me. But as far as my personal list at this point, it's down at 13 because I think I just played it out. And again, it was only so low for me, specifically because my son did not like it. And once that happened, (laughs) the game had zero value for me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to play that by myself except for the review. Of course. And I wonder if he would like it as he got older. Like, I wonder if he was a little too young to start it, maybe. No, no, I mean, that's the thing. I think he's on more advanced games. 
Like, I, I, oh, I think okay. it was too dull for his attention. Like, he didn't feel like he had anything to do on his turn. He would just play the cards that were obvious. Okay, yeah, my kids still enjoyed it up till, I don't know, last year or the year before. So my kids were playing it till they were 10, 11. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's playing Zombicide Invader. He's playing Horrified. He's playing, uh, you know, many games that'll be higher on the list. So, yeah, Castle Panic didn't seem to... <laughs> it wasn't as exciting as those. But my number 12 is, uh, and I imagine it'll be pretty close for you, Peter, Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. Man, this is one I, I, I apologize to our Slack members. My review was appropriately cagey with this one and saying it was okay and good in some parts, but not amazing. But this is one of those ones that when I first played it and went on the Slack to talk about it, it blew me away. I love that the narrative was stronger. I loved the kind of modular board that would let the scenarios be more different. Um, I love that the characters were more powerful. And then I played more and the characters were too powerful. And the narrative was repetitive instead of, you know, Eldritch and Arkham with their random encounter cards having more of an emergent narrative. And they only had a few scenarios in the game. And I was like, oh, this doesn't really have nearly as much replay value as I wanted it to. And the difficulty level isn't quite where it should be. So there are a lot of cool design things in there. I think the design is in many ways better and more elegant and more efficient than Arkham 2nd Edition and Eldritch. But the big way I say it is it kind of lost the heart of the game. So I think it's an excellent design, but it is much less fun than those other iterations of the game. And it's also, (laughs) it's unfortunate that's going against, in a way, Arkham Horror LCG, which is my top game. Now, of course, this is a lot cheaper to play than that one, so it's not entirely a fair comparison. But with me going all in on the LCG, this one did not uh, interest me for long. And I think I uh, gave it to you, right, Peter? Do you still have it? Yeah, I do. And actually, I liked it more than you did, and I'm going to talk about it later. So I'll let you finish up, but yeah. No, 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 that that was about it. So what's uh, your number 12? My number 12 is also Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. What? (laughs) (laughs) You faked me out there, man. Nice job. Yeah, I faked myself out too. No, I, I, it's funny. I think this one has the potential to move up on my list. I just haven't played it very much since we played it. Your lack of enthusiasm for it kind of drained my enthusiasm for it a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. I never want to do that to somebody. Well, no, no, no. It's not only that, but it's just, there's so many games that come out, right? And like, is this... This wasn't near the top. This wasn't one that I was, like, dying to get back out again, right? And so because of that, I just never did. I did get some more content for it. I think there was one expansion that came out already. Yeah. Oh, you you have that? Yeah, that expanded the amount of cards in the base game. So I think I played it once or twice since I got the expansion. And, again, I do like it more than you do, but I don't know. There, You know, it's one of those games. I think it's more Euro-y, and I think that's what led you away from it. And I also think that's what leads me away from being excited about getting games back to the table. I don't know. I played pandemic a hundred times, so maybe that's not true. Yeah. There's just something about it that I was just not as excited to get back to the table, but I thought it was a good game and I do want to explore it more. So I, I, like I said, it is number 12 on my list, but I think it is a possibility of moving up over time. Well, maybe we'll see it uh, next year. If we do that little look back again, So uh, I interestingly had a one, two, three punch of Fantasy Flight games that I uh, bought myself. This is back before I was getting so many review copies. I bought myself uh, right at the beginning of the year. Here's a Terranoth Arkham 3rd Edition and my number 11, Discover. And this one was interesting because I was very angry at it. And, And I see a lot of super negative reviews and I don't agree with those because... I did find the design and the game experience to be fairly enthralling in some points, 
But I'm still angry at a lot of things. I think the unique uh, idea of this, where like each copy was different, was a terrible mismatch. And I think this could have been a really cool game with some nice expandability if they had not tried to shove that in. It's great for Keyforge, not great for this game. Beyond that, I thought the content you got, this kind of goes with the unique game idea, the content you got was just really bad for the price. And I paid MSRP for this, so that made me kind of more susceptible, you know? <laughs> it's something I have to always remember in my review copy games, that somebody has to pay a lot of money for this, so I shouldn't just kind of neglect that point. But yeah, beyond all that, though, Discover is a really fun survival game with some cool story elements. The mechanics are incredibly straightforward and, I would say, elegant. It's a lot of fun to play. I was really, really into it until I played through the entire campaign. And then, again, the content wasn't quite enough. There was some replayability. And I did really enjoy kind of exploring everything and finding all the events the game had to offer. So I got a lot of nice plays of it. Is it worth the price? Yes, it is. And I say that because you can find it discounted for like $15 now. (laughs) So heck yes, get it for that price. I think it's 100% worth it. Was it worth $50? Never. But I still really enjoyed the mechanics of it. I wish they had done it differently. I would love to play more of this game system, but I don't think that's going to happen. So uh, there you go. Discover my number 11. All right, so my number 11 is Kitchen Rush. And this is a real-time game I did enjoy, but I do have some of the same problems you had with it, which is the economy is way off. I enjoyed what I was doing when I was playing, but then the end of the round would come and I'd be negative so much money and I wouldn't be able to pay my workers. And so the next round, I'm going in with a disadvantage and now I have to make even more money. And it's just got this death spiral thing, which I think could easily be varianted out. Just start with a bunch more money and just say you couldn't buy a bunch of upgrades at the beginning of the game. And I think it would be fine. So the only thing that bothered me about the game was that money death spiral. I don't think it'd be very hard to fix. But the thing that pushes it so high on my list is my daughter Allison loved this game. And I wish I had known that before I let you sell it off because I feel so guilty she still has to play it from time to time. And any game that could capture her imagination, because she doesn't like a lot of the games that we play for whatever reason, but for some reason that one stuck in her mind. And so definitely some positive memories. I may end up having to buy Kitchen Rush again down the road. And ironically, I think Kitchen Rush is one of our most downloaded episodes of all time, and I'm not really sure why. So for uh, that that is not why it is at this point on my list, but it is a game that I do kind of regret not having now, and one I may end up having to go out and get again. So that's Kitchen Rush. Well, speaking of games you play with your children, we're getting into our top ten, and all of these are games that I would be happy to have in my collection. I don't think I have... Yeah, I've not sold or traded any of these except for ones I gave to you, Peter, (laughs) or uh, ones that are sort of one and done and then I gave away so somebody else could play it. So these are all like pretty strong recommends uh, from this point forward. And number 10, again, with my uh, children is Horrified. So this one definitely impressed me. I had not played any of the new Ravensburger releases, but uh, Brady Sadler on Facebook was bragging about how great this game was. It got a lot of buzz. It was hard to find a copy. I was like going from target to target trying to track down when they were actually going to sell it. I finally got it, and it was not as good as all that, but it was still pretty darn good. (laughs) I think that... uh, People who talk about the game oversell how different the monsters are, like these uh, universal monsters you can go against, and the game really doesn't have as much variety as it wishes it does, 
But apart from that, this is such an elegant, I've said this for several of the games, but it's like a really streamlined, straightforward, incredibly simple to teach game that runs really, really well and has nice tension and pretty good decisions, you know, for as light of an experience as it is. So I was really impressed with the design, even though I think maybe its selling points didn't quite live up to their promise. I uh, really like this one, and it's, it's, it's at least to play with my son and my family. It is staying around in my collection for a while, I think. So that's uh, Horrified, my number 10. All right, so my number 10 is Discover, Lands Unknown. So that was what, I, I, I was 11? impressed that this uh, went so high for you. I thought it would have been uh, way farther down. No, I like the gameplay. I like the combat system. I mean, it was a little random, but I, I liked how you did it, and I liked that you had the black die and the red die, and like it was so quick to resolve. Uh, I actually liked the exploration elements of it. To be honest, if there wasn't a better exploration game that came out this year, it may have even been higher on my list. I didn't have to pay the money up front, but I can totally see what you're saying. I do wish you just got all the content. I mean, I feel bad for the designers who had to do all that designing of all this content just for people not to get to play all of it. So I wish they made it more modular, ironically, like a modular deck system, where maybe you had a deck of cards for the environment, you had a deck of cards for whatever quest you're trying to solve, and you just mush them together and you shuffle them together. And that's what brought out the variety from mission to mission. And that way you could kind of interplay the missions with the different scenarios the way they had it anyway. So I don't know. It, it was a good game. I really liked the exploration parts of it. I liked it when I played it. It isn't really replayable, so I don't know that I would go back to it. And I, I never played the competitive version. I don't know that I ever will. So that that brings it down a notch, too. And because there's a lot of content for the game, but in each box there's only like six missions, I don't know how much replayability there is. And, I mean, it was a good game, not a great game. And so those things are what hold it back for me. So that's my number 10, Discover Lands Unknown. Nice. We're definitely meeting a lot more in the middle. We just have some <laughs> some outliers where something gets a huge high one for me is a low one for you. Uh, my number nine, so this one is definitely a good bit higher than you, is Final Hour. This one, from you all saying how kind of dull you found the presentation at Gen Con and people saying they weren't that excited about it, I didn't expect to like it very much. And even Colin wasn't very high in his praise. He said it was good. But yeah, this one, it's kind of like made for Mike, <laughs> in a way. So I can't even say that I would recommend this to almost anybody else. But I love limited communication. I love uh, like hidden play and then trying to figure out how things go. I love the end game. It's like literally what we put in our design, Salvation Road, where you can mitigate your odds as much as possible, but at some point you just have to go for it and a random draw might make you win or lose the final moment and you have like this great tension and suspense. So I found this one very surprising with how much I enjoyed it. And a cool thing about it, even though I know this is focusing on the co-op side, the solo play is very different, but also very engaging and also very fulfilling. It becomes more of a uh, choice and risk management and push your luck system instead of the kind of limited communication chaos. But yeah, I like this for both modes of play and definitely a really good one for me. And it's so quick to play, such a tiny box. And, it, you know, it's not really competing with the other Arkham games I have because it's such a different beast. In fact, I kind of wish they hadn't themed this after Arkham. I think I might like it better if it was something else. But, uh, yeah, Final Hour, I, I was uh, very thoroughly impressed. Cool. And, I mean, while it was way lower on my list at 16, it was in the same tier of games for me. It's in that middle tier of games where 
I mean, they're not interchangeable, but they kind of are. I, you know, you get tiers of games, and I kind of had to rank them some way. So I don't think it's as far off as the list might point out that it would be. Like, there's very little gap between that and my next one, which is Horrified. As far as in my mind, like, I would play them both almost equivalently. Well, tell us about Horrified. So Horrified for me, again, is the same kind of thing. It was... There's been a lot of hype around this game, and maybe this one is overrated for me a little bit, because I liked it okay, and I had fun playing it, but people just keep talking about what a great game it is and how they introduce new gamers with it, and I don't know. I tried to play with my kids, and they didn't really love it, and I found it kind of plain Jane, so yeah, maybe this one's a little high on my list. Maybe I'm just buying into the hype a little too much and how everybody says how great it is and all the monsters are different, but I, I've never, I never see this thing being played anywhere. So, you know, maybe, maybe the hype around it is more than the game itself is, but again, it's a quick co-op. It's good for what it is. I think it is decent to introduce new people to, but for me, it's just an okay game. I do like <laughs> the theme a lot. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Dude, Maybe this, my number is clearly way up. too high for you on your list because everything you just said like is so ho hum compared to like the last four games you described. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like I'm never gonna play this one again, probably. So you're right; it's probably way too high. So all right, <laughs> scratch horrified, move it down to like 14 and move everything up one. I don't know. No, that would be Heroes of Terranoth. I like it better than that. P- push it, uh, but Castle Panic. Uh, I don't know. All right, maybe just push it below Arkham at 12. All right, there you go. <laughs> That's funny, man. All right, so uh, again, you're sort of getting like a weird uh, clumping effect because I think all of the games we did for like our horror month in October are hitting at the same time for me. So we had Horrified, Final Hour, and now Zombicide Invader is my number eight. And this one is another one that there's a lot of this on this list. Another one that I think the replayability and variety from game to game is not as much as I would like. And that is something that I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of something like Pandemic. I do want the game to change more from game to game and have more options to put in from game to game. But that being said, the core gameplay of Zombicide Invader, such a breath of fresh air over the like base Zombicide rules. And even Black Plague had some awkward parts, but I adore the way they did it in Invader compared to those. The game is fun, fun, fun and so accessible. And I played with my seven-year-old and he loved it. So yeah, this is a really cool one. The fact that I think it gets samey is going to keep it. And, and by the way, samey with just the core game. I've not played with tons of Kickstarter content or anything. But uh, the fact that it gets samey keeps it from being really high on my list. But it's uh, firmly at number eight. I really, really enjoy this one. Yeah, so these next three for me are a new tier. Definitely a step above that, that middle tier we just had. And Zombicide Invader is number eight for me as well. Wow, man, this is so... I, I do want to clear up for people. Uh, in previous years, we played almost all these games together. Like, that was kind of our regular thing to do. For most of this year, I would say for the majority of these games, Peter and I maybe played them once together, and then we would take turns borrowing them and playing them with other people and playing them solo. So the fact that we're hitting on so many similar numbers kind of surprises me. I thought we'd be way more divergent. Oh, we are on some of them. That is for darn sure. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, Zombicide Invader, it's just fun. It is by far the best version of Zombicide. And not only that, but it is a really good dungeon crawl and a really good game for what it is. It's not deep madness for me, 
but it might be more accessible and easy to pull out than Deep Madness, so it may even get more table time than Deep Madness, where Deep Madness, at this point, I feel like I'd have to go back and learn the rules all over again. Zombicide Invader, I could definitely pull out today and, and play really, really easily. So that bumps it up some for me. Still number eight, again, in this second tier of games for me, but I really enjoyed it, and this is one I can't see getting rid of. I did, however, get rid of Black Plague, and I know we were talking about whether I would or wouldn't. Yeah, this is so much better than Black Plague, it's not even close for me. So, my number eight, Zombicide Invader. Nice one. Let's see if we can keep uh, the streak of similar numbers going. My number seven is Battle for Greyport. This is the uh, Red Dragon Inn, sort of a uh, same world, same publisher as that game, but it's a deck builder, town defense game. And yeah, this one has fallen off a bit for me. I- I've kind of cooled on deck builders. They were perhaps my favorite kind of like genre or mechanism for games, and that has definitely slowed down some. But I still think this one is very innovative. I love the way they make you a real character in your deck instead of just uh, the kind of this amorphous thing. I think the uh, the card play is really cool. I like the semi-simultaneous, like heavily cooperative nature of the fighting. I do wish... I think if this was from a bigger publisher, if it made a bigger splash, the game would be higher for me. Like, if it was like Aeon Zen and they had tons of releases and were trying, like, lots of cool experimental things with the game, I would like it more. But it's a fairly limited amount of content, and the first expansion adds very little, and there's no sign of them ever expanding it beyond that. So, yeah, the fact that, like, that's all you get definitely keeps it down at number seven for me. But I still really, really like the system, so it's it's a nice one. That's uh, Battle for Greyport, uh, my number seven. My number seven is actually a little bit of a surprise for me, and that's the Adventure Games by Cosmos. Is that right, Cosmos? That's right. Yeah, so I love the Exit Games. I love the Unlock Games. I love these Escape Room games. As you saw, Chronicles of Crime was near the top of my list last year, and maybe I'm just cooling on them as a genre, but we still get all the new Exit Games and Unlock Games, and I really did enjoy some of the innovations it adds to that, but to some degree, I felt like it didn't have enough puzzle to it. And there was a lot of randomness to it. So, I don't know. It's a weird hybrid for me. I still like them a lot, obviously. They're in my second tier of games here. But I thought it'd be much higher. I thought it'd be near my top three by the end of the year. But as far as right now goes, what's out and what I know of, which is nothing coming in the future, I'm sure there'll be more. But they're going to fall in at number seven for me and just miss that top tier of games. I still enjoy them. I just think they are more choose your own adventure than they are puzzle escape room type game and so because it leaned that way a little more i think it dropped a little for me i think that's all fair uh they are going to be my number six and i would say this is my top tier like games that i definitely want to keep now in this case we we gave this one away because we played it (laughs) but uh i'm definitely all in for the series and they do already have uh, at least one announced i think it's like some kind of volcano adventure so there's more coming for sure But yeah, I think this is, I mean, you said it well, it is more choose your own adventure than puzzle, but I love choose your own adventure. And Exit is one of the ones I'm coolest on out of the series because it's all puzzle and almost no atmosphere and story. I still think Unlock probably does the best of melding the two, but Adventure Games is right up there close to Unlock for me. I really, really enjoy them. So this is uh, my number six, not necessarily top of the year. But uh, for the two releases I've played, I think they're doing awesome work. So that's uh, the Adventure Game series from Cosmos at number six. And this one could move way up for me. 
This could be one of those next year where we're talking about it being in my top three if it has another very strong release. I think what it was is I really liked the dungeon one, and when we reviewed it, I had played that one all the way through, and I hadn't played the pharmaceutical ones all the way through. And the pharmaceutical one just wasn't as good for me. It wasn't even close to as good for me. And so it might just be that it was kind of a dud release. And and that happens. I mean, my favorite of the Escape Room games, Unlock, every once in a while, has one of those dud releases, too, where it just doesn't mesh with you for whatever reason. So if this one has some strong releases this year and no more that kind of fall short for me, this could definitely move way up on my list. Yeah, I also thought the Dungeon one was slightly better, but I do think the Pharmaceutical one, Monochrome Inc., was more innovative, so I still appreciated it quite a bit. Sure, sure. So this one definitely also has a lot of room to move for me. All right, so my number six, and this was a shock to even me, is Tainted Grail. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, I hated Seventh Continent, as anyone who had talked to me would know. Uh, I was shocked that this one was this high for me. Now, some people may say that this is a little lower than they thought it should be, but I had some frustrating games of it, and I think that cooled me on a little bit, but I am still looking forward to getting it back to the table again. I I mentioned a little bit in my review, but when you go down to one health, it is a slog and a grind to get back up again, and that timer's just ticking away, and I think it's really hard to get back in the game if that happens. So that knocked it down a little bit for me. It may have even been in the top tier of games had it had I not had those experiences. But at the same time, I still really enjoyed the exploration. And for someone like me, who this isn't their type of game, for it to be this high on my list this year, will tell you that I think it's a really great game. And people who like this kind of exploration game, I think will love it. So that is my number six, Tainted Grail. And I'm glad to hear that because when I played this game, I, I texted Peter pretty quickly and I said, hey, I think you're going to like this one. It's Seventh Continent, but without a lot of the frustrating parts. <laughs> and it sounds like that's how it worked out for you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. My number five. Great year for Simon, got to say, because uh, Zombicide Invader and this really, really excellent. Cthulhu Death May Die. And this might be recency bias. In fact, uh, several, three of my top five games are ones we covered very recently. But uh, Cthulhu Death May Die is very easy to play, very easy to get into, has really cool modularity in how you mix the Elder One and the episode together, has like nice tension, a nice kind of arc to it as you uh, build toward fighting the boss. The components are amazing. Now, I've heard some <laughs> what I would call very hyperbolic coverage of it, like it's some unbelievable game design. I think it has many flaws, and I think the balance is weird. I think uh, the variety is not as great as it could be, and I think that uh, the core game is not the best value. I think you should, if you're going to get this game, just kind of anticipate spending 100 to 150 to get a decent number of the expansions. But if you kickstarted and got everything, or if you're willing to spend that money, I think this is an awesome system, really fun to play, very accessible, but gives you a nice amount of narrative and crunchy choices and excitement despite that accessibility. So yeah, Cthulhu Death May Die, very good game. I don't think it's the best game ever made, like I feel like some reviews I've heard have called it, but it is a very solid. All right, so now we're to my top tier games. These top five, I'll be honest, have switched today as I've gone through and played more games today. And this game was at number two for a while, and now it's all the way down to number five, and not for any fault of its own, but again, these top games, they're just so close to each other. So for me, it is also Cthulhu Death May Die. 
Oh, interesting. I, I was wondering if it would go up or down. So you, you played with the new Elder Wand that you bought? I didn't. And <laughs> so I ended oh, you up didn't? Playing, <laughs> no, I ended up playing Journeys in Middle-Earth all day today because I was looking to get past where I'd gotten past in the past. Yes, I said past. You're, you're, a lot of you were past there. the past, and you got past the past in the past. I got past where I had ever been before, but I had to play all day to get there. And Journeys on Middle Earth was in this spot at some points today too. So, but anyway, let's talk about Cthulhu Death May Die. I really like it, and again, this is one that may move up for me. I do already have one expansion; haven't had a chance to play it yet. I'm looking forward to picking up the other two expansions, the big one and another great old one, at some point. I do think this game has a high potential to move up on this list for me, but for right now, this is where it's going to settle out. I do compare this game very favorably to one of my top games from last year, Deep Madness. And like I said, I think it's more accessible, more easy to get to the table. So, I mean, if I had to rate those two together, I'd probably say I think Cthulhu Death May Die is a game I'll get to the table more because it's easier to get to the table more. Whereas if I want a heavier, deeper experience, I think I'd go for Deep Madness. To be even in the same breath with that game, I think is high praise from me. So, yeah, I really like this one. It just, they had to fall out somewhere, man. And this one just fell to the number five. All right, so my number four, probably, oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm forgetting about just one. So one of the two biggest divides between me and Peter on this list, we each had one that was way low and way high for the other one. Uh, this is where Pathfinder Adventure Card Game fell for me. And uh, oh my it, God. it was not nearly as good for me last year when we covered it. And I totally forgot we covered it because last year was the old set. And I do think the new core is better in so many ways. My favorite part of Pathfinder is leveling up your character, and now they made that a consistent thing after every mission, where it used to be kind of more hit or miss whether anything uh, impactful would happen to your character after each game. Now, I will say, I, I, I don't disagree with Peter that there's issues here, and the design can be kind of clunky. Sometimes it feels like you're just playing the exact same cards over and over again. Sometimes it feels like it kind of becomes repetitive. Uh, the setup and teardown is bad. The dice rolling can feel random. The story is not as well integrated as it could be. The decks themselves, the locations can be random. Yep. But the uh, I, I can't get away from the fact that basically no game... Yeah, I mean, no, I can look at the entire list. No game was as addictive for me as this game. They just have perfected for me at least that like kind of leveling up grab you sort of mechanic i played this game like 20 times over the course of three days you know like going through entire campaigns and then i played it more after that so it might be one of my top played games i, I think it is probably my top played game out of this entire list so it has to get a high spot for that at least in my mind like it something about it really hits me well even though i could say the design is not nearly as elegant as some of the other games on here it just uh, hits me in a core emotional spot an addictive spot that is tough to uh, argue against so maybe it should be way lower but it's my number four pathfinder adventure card game yeah well i mean we all have opinions and some of them stink <laughs> yeah all right my number four and this actually surprised me yeah you haven't heard it yet so it should surprise you too battle for grayport that's way higher than I, I mean, when, when, I didn't even think, did you even want to cover this when, when we had talked about it on the channel earlier this year? Well, I had only played it once and I didn't have a great time with it the first time I played it. It was just, it's so different than any other deck builder. And we were learning it late at night and I, I don't know, we just kind of squeezed it in one night. But the more I played it with Nicholas, 
with Allison just as a family and they they love the game and they wanted to keep playing it. I had forgotten about it in the second half of this year when we were talking a couple weeks ago. We were like, oh, nothing from the first half of the year is going to make this list. I had kind of forgotten about this one because it had been so long since I played it. But this was actually my number five earlier today and I had to move it up. It's just, it's definitely on my mind and it's something I want to play more. And I like the unique aspect of it where you're playing something on everybody's turn and the turns are so integrated and you said there wasn't a lot of content but there kind of is there's like 10 or 12 enemies that you could play against and there are a bunch of different heroes you could play as so yeah you you, you know I, I guess it's just the player cards that feel limited you're, you're right there are a lot of heroes and especially like the expansion adds gosh i don't know like four or five new scenarios so that's where its main value is so th- th- that's a good point i, I might have been a bit too harsh on that Yeah, now the player cards themselves, you're right. The cards you're drafting and buying, those become repetitive pretty quickly. But I always have fun buying some of my favorites. And I do still find it interesting, the order they come out. And some of your stuff may not come out. And you really do draft based on your hero because your hero gets better or worse based on what kind of cards you put in. No, I think there's a decent amount of replayability as long as you're willing to play different heroes each time. I don't know. There's something about this game. It didn't get as much love as it should. And I think it's the name right? It's a Red Dragon Inn game. And this game is nothing at all like Red Dragon Inn. Red Dragon Inn is the least cooperative game there ever is because it's a (laughs) screw your neighbor type game. And Battle for Greyport is one of the most cooperative deck builders that are out there because you're playing something on everybody else's turn and you really have to work as a team to help get rid of guys and move guys around and do all this stuff. And so, I don't know. I think they did a really good job for a company that makes competitive games to come out with something so cooperative. I thought it was really neat and innovative. Yeah, that's my number four in that top tier of games, Battle for Greyport. Well, man, dude, I think I know what your Christmas present is going to be, because clearly you need to own my copy more than I do. <laughs> and then I'm going to get it back to the table, and it's going to be number 15 at the end of the <laughs> All right, so uh, my number three is one of the two... Well, I know what your whole top three is, because I've been paying attention. If you at home have as well, maybe you know too. So I'm curious where my number three falls for you. I'm guessing pretty high based on what you just said. My number three is Journeys in Middle-Earth. This one, my big problem with it, my big problems, my big problems are it doesn't feel like Middle-Earth, which for me, a huge, huge fan of Tolkien and having read like all the books and all that stuff is a problem. And also I feel like the app is a little bit use more than I would like. Like, I kind of wish I could control the enemies, at least. Like, some people are going to like that it takes care of that stuff and takes that burden away from you, but I wish that there was a bit more that I had to do, because I like running games. I like running AIs. But that being said, I love this game. I think the adventure is great. The cooperation is great. How you build your character and the card play. Like, this really weird little card mechanic, but it is so cool how the deck that determines your success or failure is also the deck that your cool abilities come from and you're leveling up in different ways and how you save cards and then like use them or have like permanent bonuses. All that stuff is really neat. And even though, again, like the Lord of the Rings theme is not maybe as alive for me as I think it could be, I think like playing as Bilbo and like doing cool stuff as Bilbo, like these characters that I still enjoy, even if they're in this uh, odd like sort of thematic game, that's all fun. So Journeys of Middle Earth, it is my favorite of this kind of Descent app you know, Imperial Assault app, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. It is my favorite of all those app-based games. It's not way ahead of the other ones, but it's definitely the one I think is 
the most enjoyable, and it makes sense. Uh, it is it's the only one besides Mansions of Madness that was designed to be cooperative from the get go, and it's not like five hours to play it like Mansions of Madness. So that definitely <laughs> gives it the lead over that one. So there you go, my number three, Journeys in Middle Earth. You know, it's interesting that you say that because Descent was really high on your list a couple of years ago, the first year we did this list. Well, and again, I, I, like I said, Descent Second Edition and Imperial Assault with the app, those are still high for me. They just aren't as high as this one because this one is way better integrated and way smoother. You can just see the evolution of the design, you know? So my number three is also Journeys in Middle-Earth, but I'll be honest, it was number five at the beginning of the day today before I played it so much. And even when I started playing it this morning, I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to be at five. But as I played it more and more and more, it's one of those games, it's like a semi-sweet cookie, something where you just eat one and you're like, yeah, that was all right. And then you find yourself eating a second one and a third one and a fourth one. And it's one of those games I just wanted to keep playing and keep going back to. I totally agree with you on the fact that it doesn't feel like Middle Earth. Some people said as you get further into the campaign, it starts feeling that way. I haven't gotten to that part of the campaign yet. I don't know. I, I was I was like on scenario seven or eight, and I didn't feel any Middle Earth even then. No, and I'll be honest, I made Legolas into a bard in my game just because I wanted to do that. And so I'm not treating it like a Middle Earth game because I wouldn't do that if I was taking the theme <laughs> seriously. So Legolas doesn't have a, a bow anymore. He has a harp. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, he started at level one as a hunter. And then I got bored once I leveled him up to a gold card, and I'm like, ah, I want to try him as a musician. I haven't tried Bard yet. Let's do that. So I flip-flopped him over to Bard, and so now he's getting the Bard skills. We'll see. I, I am having fun with that. Like I said, I'm not taking the Middle Earth theme seriously, but it's just a fun adventure game, and it's a fun romp. And again, typically I don't love this kind of game. I put it in there with Tainted Grail and Discoverer. It's an exploration-type game. It's not really a combat-type game, although there is a lot of combat in it. But really, you're running around trying to solve these mysteries. The things that bring it down for me, number one, the biggest one, is the app itself. I think the app is great. Unlike you, I love it running the AI. But there are two major problems with it. Number one is it does not have an undo button or a back button. Yeah, none of them have. It's like, when are you going to add this, guys? <laughs> it's the most frustrating thing in the world because today it happened to me in the last mission I played it said, put something on the board, spawn it on the board. And so I spawned it in what I thought was the right place. And then it said, spawn something else. And it had it in the exact same square. And I was like, well, that can't be right. So I spawned it in the one next to it. There's no way for me to go back and see which was the right place to put the first one. And so maybe they were both supposed to be in the same place. I don't know. That was just frustrating for me. I'm like, what is going on here? I don't know what I'm supposed to do as far as placing these monsters. And it would be so easy. They have a journal. They could just put a back button. I don't know why they don't. But anyway, some great things they did do for the game, though, is they always have your objective at the top now. So as your threat meter goes up, first of all, it tells you where the end is going to be. And it may have always done that, but it tells you what number when your threat gets to a certain point, you're basically going to lose. So I like that. And right under it, it tells you what your current objective is. And I really like that as well. Some other things that I didn't realize when we were playing before, you can really mess with the monsters because the first time they get attacked, they counterattack. But after that, they don't. And they're not readied anymore. So you can do things like explore in their space. So some of the frustrations I had in the past with maybe getting some bad card pulls or whatever else and not killing something the first time, I think now I've seen, oh, but you've 
at least distracted them. They're not going to attack you at the end of the turn. They can't counterattack if you leave their space or if you do something else as another action. So I really think it's cool how you can kind of mess with the enemy AI a little bit and distract them. And so I like how they threw some of that stuff in there. So I don't know. We've said a lot of good things about this game. I guess I should stop talking about it now. I did play it all day today, so it's very fresh in my mind. But uh, Journeys in Middle-Earth, it's probably my favorite of these exploration-type games. So, man, I'm I'm frustrated with you. <laughs> Why is that? Because clearly just one is either your number two or your number one. And that is a farce to me. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Well, we'll yell at each other in a minute. Oh, my gosh, man. All right. So let, let me get to a number two, which is uh, the last game Peter has to mention that he has not mentioned. And it better be above just one or God help you. My number two is Marvel Champions, the new LCG from Fantasy Flight. And I've only played the core game, and I'm not even, I'll, I'll honestly say, I'm not really putting it at number two with the promise of more expansions. I'm, well, I don't know. I guess that's hard to say. But really, I thought the core game was so much fun and so replayable and so kind of interchangeable with the enemies and the uh, the side schemes and how you could, like, put your deck together. I mean, there wasn't that much deck construction, but just, like, switching Spider-Man to be, like, defensive Spider-Man or aggressive Spider-Man or leader Spider-Man. I thought, compared to any of the other LCGs, the replay in just the core game here is pretty stupendous. But this is an awesome system. Probably the best superhero game I have ever played. That's almost for sure here. I think it's awesome. I love the the card play. That's my favorite thing, having a whole hand of cards every turn. Yes, it makes it a little bit tougher to teach somebody else because they are going to get more intimidated with their options each turn. But having this really tense you know, resource management puzzle every single turn... Now, the balance is a little bit off for solo play, so I would recommend either being okay with that and just taking your lumps or uh, playing two-handed if you're playing solo. But for cooperative play, it's great. Um, I'm really excited to see the expansions. I think Peter has picked some up. Have you gotten a chance to play them yet, Peter? No, they don't come out till tomorrow. Oh, crud. All right, so, but again, we're just, just on the core game. I can still put this as my number two. I'm so happy that Fantasy Flight is embracing these cooperative LCGs, because even this one blew me away. Lord of the Rings has come way up in my estimations this year after playing with uh, Colin and playing more on my own and building better decks. So, yeah, at this point, I would say all three of those cooperative LCGs from Fantasy Flight are awesome designs in different ways. If you're willing to spend a lot of money. But Marvel, I can say, even if you're not willing to spend a lot of money, get the core set. You're going to love it. It's so much fun. All right. So we are going to battle here at the top of the list. This is probably the first time we're going to, like, have a huge fight right at the end. Because my number two is Marvel Champions. You are kidding me, dude. You are so, <laughs> This is a joke. This stuff. Okay, fine. Whatever. Tell. Okay. Okay. Well, we're not there yet. Talk about Marvel Champions because I agree with that. It's a great game. Yeah. So believe it or not, it, it again. This is where my movement happened today. I will say my number one game did not move all day. Marvel Champions was all the way down at five at some points and all the way up. Uh, no, I think it made it as low as four. I don't think it ever went below Battle for Greyport. And then I realized, wait, Battle for Greyport's a really good game. And then I would move that one up. So anyway, Marvel Champions has been all over my list. I will say, unlike you, though, I do want expansions for it. I want a little bit more deck customization, although, who knows? Because knowing me, I may or may not even do that, right? I may just play the new heroes right out of the box the way they are. But I want new heroes. I want new enemies already. I, I do agree with you that the game is very, very playable out of the box, but... I saw some of the mechanics, and the reason this one moved 
this high for me is I saw some of the mechanics for the Green Goblin enemy deck that's coming out, and it looks so cool. They're going to have two different enemies in that box, so the value is going to be better than I thought it was going to be. They're going to have Osborne, where you can switch back and forth forms, and then they're just going to have the Green Goblin, more of a straight-up fight. So that seemed cool to me. I saw some of Captain America's cards. Oh, it looks so good. So... I am excited about what's new and what's upcoming for Marvel Champions. That probably did push it a little higher on my list. Even without playing any of that stuff, I'm excited. I want to play it. I love the core system. I will say it's probably best at low player count, though. I think one or two is probably the sweet spot for it. Maybe up to three, but I certainly don't think I'd play it with four, unless it was four people who really knew what they were doing. Or, you know, if somebody asked me to teach it, certainly I wouldn't play with four. But it wouldn't be ideal for me. I think the downtime gets up. And the game length goes up because all they do is really multiply everything by four when you have four players. So I think two or three is a sweet spot for me, but even solo with just one hero works great too. So Marvel Champions, really good at my number two. All right, it's my number one. This won't surprise anybody because I also ranked it higher than Marvel Champions and other things in my uh, YouTube video, my top 20. Uh, It's Tainy Grail. And yeah, I, I, I... think it makes sense that it's higher for me than for you peter because i think i like choose your own adventure more than you do that is one of my core loves from when i was a kid like doing a old lone wolf uh, books and those kind of things and even the original choose your own adventure books but this game is awesome for kind of the the verisimilitude of the world like you feel like you're in this active world with people and exploring I actually really liked Seventh Continent, but had major frustrations with it. And this fixes most of them. You are right that you can still get into kind of a death spiral and feel like you have to repeat a lot of content. That's that's my one big negative for the game. But even that doesn't bother me too much because it's really fun to explore things and see what stuff is. But here's the big thing, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention it. I know you love it, so I think you just forgot. But the thing that blew me away about Tainted Grail is how darn fun the combat is. Yes. Like, it is a great little, like, card puzzle system that just works so well and is so quick, and upgrading your characters to make them stronger at it is a ton of fun. So I never expected that. When I heard the card combat was like, match some symbols, I was like, this is dumb. And it was the best part of the game. Like, oh, by far the best part. I mean, th- that th- the game is great. Uh, that combat system in the game is great. And to be honest... I think that's why I noticed the death spiral more than most people maybe will, because you can easily get out of any combat, right? Like, you can leave a combat at any point, but I just wanted to keep going, even though I knew full well, looking at my cards in my hand, that I couldn't win, but I was just hoping to draw something good and really prove that I'm smarter than the game and really do some cool things, and it's never a good idea to do that in this game, (laughs) but... That's fine. I just, I don't know. You're right. I, I've forgotten about that card combat. It's so good. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I love the I love the choose your own adventure. I love the exploration. It is like a better Seventh Continent. But the main reason it's better is because the combat is awesome. Whereas in Seventh Continent, it was just everything else. I mean, I, I, I do like the resolution in Seventh Continent. I like the kind of push your luck. How many cards do you want to draw? How much do you want to tire yourself out? I think that's really thematic and cool. But this is a great game for combat and other stuff and diplomacy and exploration, whereas Seventh Continent uh, I had more problems with. So yeah, uh, Tainted Grail, my number one, a great choice for number one. An amazing, ambitious design that took so many people, so many hours to make. A, A real exemplar of what the game industry should be. Peter, what's your number one again? A better game. You... <laughs> <laughs> so my number one is Just One. 
God, what an, oh, I'm embarrassed, man. <laughs> no, let me tell you. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. I, as you've said, I've played this game lots and lots of times this year. My kids love this game, so I end up playing it over and over with them, with the family. Anytime we have people over, we end up playing it with them too. And you said the card matching doesn't happen or the matching doesn't happen. It happens all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe your group just talks too much about what they're going to play. No, or may, maybe we're just or, way better at the game than you are, and it gets boring when you're good at the game. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe, or maybe you guys are just Cheater McCheatersons, and you're like, I'll do the obvious one. Don't write down this. No, no uh-huh. we never we never do that. I'm just playing with adults who can actually, like, make, you know, have much bigger vocabulary. No offense to your kids, but I assume that my, you know, 30-year-old friends have bigger vocabularies than your kids, and I think it's just easier to not match each other in that case. Well, but I've played with a lot of adults, too, and we've played it as an adult game, and I find that matching happens. Didn't you, aren't you the one that had ladder, and you matched Jacobs and Rung? Yes, that, that was the best play I ever had of the game, and well, it has never that been happens. nearly that fun since. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess this is your Pathfinder, because I really I rated Pathfinder so high despite its design having issues and not being that in- impressive just because I played it so much and I had, it fu- I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, <laughs> this is not... This is not as good of a design as, like, any of the other games we've just talked about, right? Like, you at least agree with that. Well, you could tell by the mind from last year. I mean, that wasn't the best design game of last year, but it was the most fun to play. I mean, for me, this list is about what game am I playing now, what game am I having fun with, and what game am I going to be playing in 10 years? And I'll tell you, 90% of this list is not going to be played in 10 years. Just one will be. This is a game that's not going to go anywhere. It's not going away. I disagree with you that most of these other party games are better. Yes, I might want to play code names more, but not always. Just one I could teach to somebody in 10 seconds and have them up and playing. And it's a game that people have fun with their first time playing it. And I don't need to teach them a million rules. And it's a great ambassador for the hobby. And it's a game that's just not going to go anywhere. So for me, that's what makes it number one. It's fun to play now. And I know I'll be having fun with it in 10 years. You know, so, something that lowers it for me, and, and I agree with you what you just said, but that, that's all fair. And I, it, might, it might still be my collection 10 years, well, probably not 10 years, but it might still be my collection for a while. I think if we're talking about cooperative games on the list, Just One is, for me, it does not feel very cooperative. And just to explain what I mean, it feels like you each write your clues on your own, and then you get angry at each other and almost a competitive kind of feeling or not. And then somebody does something. In the end, the activity is cooperative by definition because, like, you have done things together and then something works out or does not. But the game does not feel like you're cooperating as much as I think almost anything else on this list for me. So that definitely knocks it for me as well if we're talking about, like, cooperation and not just a game that you are all on the same side or chasing the same score together with. No, I agree with that. And and look, like most party games, the scoring system is not the best in this game, and it's not the best part of the game, and you're right. There are definitely some flaws with the design, but as far as fun experiences, that's where I come in. And, and you know, it's funny, because top of my list next year might be, what, Mental Blocks, Obscurio, <laughs> like, you know, these games uh, that I feel... I, I like both of those, I like both of those. Games that I feel are going to be around for a while. You know, they're the ones that tend to make the top of my list. Maybe I do play it a little safe at the top of my list, but I mean, it would still be in my top tier of games. I mean, for me, it's a game every time I pulled it out, I've had fun with. I've never pulled it out and put it away and gone, well, that was that was a bust. Now, obviously you have. Well, now, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I should have rated it higher. It has never been a bust. It has not been great. 
but it's never like fallen flat. We've always played it two or three times in a row. So I've never had a group that played it once and was like, well, that was something, <laughs> you know? So it's, All right. And see, maybe that's part of it too, because I never play it two times in a row. I play it once. We have fun. And I guess maybe we just don't play to the point where it's wearing out. It's welcome. Oh, that that's really interesting. It's almost like the opposite of the mind. Right. Because I would say the mind is most fun when I play with the same people a few times in a row and we start gelling together. Oh, absolutely. M- m- maybe just one is less fun when you start gelling together because then we don't get the funny conflicts. You know what I mean? Like once yes. I play with the same group five times in a row, like we we figure out the strategies and like who makes what kind of clues and we never cross over at all. You know what I mean? Yes. I 100% agree with that. So just one is definitely – it's like uh, – candy right you can eat a bunch of it but you shouldn't and you might feel sick the next day huh all right well you know what next time i try it i'm going to play it once and put it away (laughs) and see how that works out yeah i agree with you you're right some games are meant to be played all night and you get better and better this is definitely not one of those so maybe that's why it's still so high on my list is because i I do think it's a a one shot for a night a warm-up an end of the evening type thing and uh move on to the next game all right, there we go. A, a lot of agreement, I would say. We, we were pretty close on most of the games on the list. Uh, there weren't too many surprises, two big surprises, and then a few that oh, were yeah. kind of smaller. But besides that, I, we were mostly within like two or three of each other for almost everything. I think even some of the ones we had bigger diversity on, like Final Hour, it was still the same tier of games for us. Sure, I mean, sure, just sure, one sure. and Pathfinder were the ones that were like, Totally different. It was in my bottom four, never play Pathfinder again. And uh, (laughs) for you, it was in your top tier games. So, I mean, I think that was probably the biggest difference between us. But for the most part, you're right. We're on the same page. So, yeah, something like Final Hour, I think we might both rate the same number. Like if it was on a 10 point scale, we might rate it the same, but it just kind of ends up going above or below some things. Sure. I totally agree with that. Well, all right, you made it through a longish episode. These always uh, go a bit more because we have to talk through a lot of things. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please feel free to go on the Slack and uh, comment. We'll definitely be posting this one on the YouTube, so feel free to let us know what your top 20 are on the YouTube channel as well if you want to comment there. Uh, check us out on SoundCloud. Send us a review. Uh, check out our Patreon and send a little uh, holiday gift for us if you'd like to support the channel and the work we're doing here. And uh, thank you all for a great, great year of gaming. I... I have loved this year. Uh, What an awesome, awesome time. Yeah, it's funny. I did not think this year would turn out the way it did as far as games go, but I was really happy. It seems like at the beginning of the year, it was just like one of those slogs. I'm like, gosh, are there going to be any good games that come out this year? But there were a lot of good ones. There were actually more in my top tier than there were in the bottom tier. So another really good year in co-op gaming. Well, but I think if we cut out... Like the last three months of episodes, we lose like the top half of our list. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, man. Just one was way early. In the- <laughs> well, okay, not, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Marvel Champions, Cthulhu Death May Die, Adventure Games, like all of Zombicide, all of those came out later. Sure, sure. All right. So uh, thank you all. Have a great year. Great New Year's. Safe holidays. Happy holidays. And uh, we'll see you at the next stop. All right. And thanks for joining us on another One Stop Co-op Shop. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. Thank you.
Hello, hello. Test, test, one, two, test. Hey, 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 test. All right. Wow, you had the hey, hey, hey thing going on. You know it. I am, I don't know. You're all hey up? I'm all hey out and ready for my job to be done for a little while. Hey, diddle, diddle. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be nice to have a break. Yes. Although you're doing a lot of traveling during your break, I guess. Yeah, and probably a lot of recording and stuff when I get back. Yeah. And we're going to go through 20 of the games we reviewed this year on the podcast. We had a sort of 21st, but what happened with that one, Peter? I don't even know. Oh, from last year? No, never mind. You know what? I, I screwed up. Hold on. Probably the best superhero game I have ever played. I mean, that, that, uh, that's almost an assurity. That's almost a surety. That's, that's a stupid word. That's almost for sure here. And we do have some other fun stuff coming up. We're going to have another top 20 list. Uh, me and Liz Davidson are going to do a top 20 solo of 2019 list, although it'll be 2020 by then because we're not going to get around to it until January. But that's going to be exciting. Uh, we didn't invite Peter on because he didn't solo that many games. <laughs> I did not solo 20, but I could come up with a good top five list. Sure, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, maybe reach out to you and like the Slack for that. But uh, yeah, look out for those things. Uh, more cool things coming. Uh, yeah, and that's it. <laughs> hey, Peter. Hey, Mike. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you're, not, you're not very good at that. Let, let me I, show you how it's done. Well, I mean, you, you said that it's like impromptu and you just do it in the moment. And I, I wanted to try and nothing nothing came. <laughs> nice. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Guess what my top solo game of the year is? Uh, just one? Just one, baby. <laughs> just one solo would be a dumpster fire. <laughs> Why'd you write the same clue, Peter? Why'd you write the same clue? Well, you know me. My short-term memory is so bad <laughs> that I can actually play it with myself and forget what clue I was trying to give myself. Oh, that's hilarious. 